Good morning, good morning. Everybody doing good? All right, so who's heard this phrase before? I know you've heard it. The struggle is real. Anybody heard the phrase, the struggle is real? All right. Uh, well, if you have not heard this phrase, it's a way of saying this is a struggle that's common to us, right? This is a struggle that I can relate to. So if you can relate to any of these struggles, right, I'm going to put a picture up on the screen, and I'm going to describe it. And if you can relate to it, just say the struggle is real. All right? Got it? All right. I think you're with me. All right, so here's the first one. The Monday morning alarm clock, if you can relate. The struggle is real. Okay, somebody believes it. Uh, how many of you are snooze button people? You're like all day, every day. I'm going to hit that snooze button about 100 times because somehow I feel like I'm getting that extra little bit of sleep. How many of you, it's not just the Monday morning, but it's every morning that alarm clock's going off. The struggle is real, all right? Uh, all right, how about this one? Some of you can relate. Walking up the stairs after leg day. Uh, those of you that love your leg day, you can feel it, right? Like sitting down is a struggle, walking up the stairs is a struggle. I feel like a few of us Cincinnatians can relate to this one. Waiting on the Bengals to win a playoff game. <laughs> Any minute now. Hey, maybe Joe Burrow will be the answer. I don't know. If we end up with him, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think all of us can probably relate to this one this week. This week. Struggle is real. All week long, right? It's like we've gone through all the seasons now. We've had every form of precipitation. And I think even like new forms of precipitation were like introduced, like stuff that didn't even exist before. Like let's mix some rain and some snow and whatever else. And we've got all kinds of, we've been through the seasons. So that's Ohio weather for you. The struggle is real. Uh, this one is just kind of a personal one for me. And this is when mom leaves dad at home with the kids for the day. This is, the struggle was real this weekend. I'm like, I give up. You guys win. Yeah, you got me. And some of you dads know how I feel on that one. Now, while many of those are lighthearted, uh, we could kind of really lean in here, and we're going to in just a moment. Uh, it doesn't take long for us to realize if we're going to be really, really honest, right, that the struggle is real in our world, and the struggle is real uh, really in all of us. And um, there is this real struggle that's common to all of us, it's a real struggle that all of us can relate to. It may look different for all of us, but we all can acknowledge and recognize that there is a struggle that is going on uh, in real life, and it's a real struggle. In fact, we're born into that struggle, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into it today uh, as we talk about this idea of these two kingdoms and understanding the crown and this element of discipleship. Um, but we see the struggle um, really everywhere we look. When we turn on the news and we see images like this and we see violence and unrest and terrorism and unjust regimes and we could all say, man, this struggle is real. We see it through disease and sickness and uh, we've seen this uh, coronavirus really kind of ramp up and, you know, things like that cause us tension and stress us out as we watch the news and think, man, like, um, you know, all of this disease and sickness. And if it wasn't that disease or sickness, it would be some other disease and sickness. And so we understand that there's this very real struggle of disease in our world. Uh, we see it in political division, even in our own country, and uh, that often feels just so divided, right? And so we could say that the struggle is real even within our country. Um, and then we're, we see images uh, like this, and we, uh, we understand through recent events that we're reminded of the brevity of life and the pain of loss. And while it could have been anyone, right, we all experience loss in one way or another. We, we experience death and, and, and saying goodbye to someone that we care about. And so we understand that there's this real struggle even between life and death. We see this struggle in our families. 
And some of us are facing the struggle today in a way where we just feel the tension in a relational way, and it's really uh, on our doorstep. It's in our home, and we could say that in our family, the struggle is very real. And if we look a little bit further, if we dig a little bit further, for many of us, there's a very real struggle going on inside of our own heart, inside of our own life, inside of our own mind, and we could all say, you know, the struggle is real. And there is this struggle common to humanity. It's, it's spread across every era of human history. Uh, none of us are exempt from it, um, and it takes a lot of forms. But the Bible really speaks to the struggle in an in a even broader way and gives us a, a broader picture of even what that looks like. And it goes beyond even just the physical realm into the spiritual realm. And in Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we understand that there very much is a spiritual struggle at play. Um, and we see it on the cosmic level, uh, really even beyond the physical world. We see it on the personal level, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, even understood this struggle when he says, I do, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do not do, if I can make it through this, that'll be amazing. <laughs> now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. And so we would acknowledge and recognize when we understand the biblical picture that there is this power at work through sin. And there's this struggle that is real. The first element that we're going to be diving into, and if you uh, were here last week, you know that we're going through elementary discipleship. Now, it is a big task to take these big topics, right? The nine biggest topics that Jesus was downloading into the life of his disciples, and he was embedding these truths into their life, and really whittle it down into a 30-minute uh, conversation. Uh, so I want to encourage you to continue to dive into those books and um, really kind of walk through uh, those things individually and then in the group settings, because you're going to really see uh, great fruit come from that. Now, this first element is called the crown, and really it's this understanding of and that what Jesus taught about when he talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world and how we're kind of caught between these two worlds. We're stuck in the tension of these two worlds at war. And this is a very, these are very real kingdoms that God spoke of, and, uh, and, and we can often see the, the tension of that struggle at work. And we live in, in between these two worlds. World, the first world is the, the kingdom of God, and this was really the kingdom that was born of God. This was God's original intention when uh, he designed the world, and, uh, and he said that it was good, right? And we see that happening in the garden, and then, um, you know, that God had made, it, made this perfect world where we had this, uh, this uninhibited connection to him that really bore all of this great fruit in our lives. Uh, there was harmony, there was peace, there was goodness, there was light, um, and all of these things existed. 
And then there's this other world that was really born from our rebellion. We see, that, see this through the, the fall of mankind. And we understand that there is, as Paul talks about, this sin nature that really rose to the surface that gave way to uh, this kingdom of the world that is really born out of rebellion and marked by the rule of sin. And so we find ourselves caught between these two worlds trying to navigate life, between darkness and light, flesh and freedom, through the Spirit, death and life, evil and good. And none of us are exempt from the struggle. If you spend any time on planet Earth, you understand that and you realize that. But the question that we're really chasing today is how do we, as the people of God, how do we as disciples of Jesus, how does he instruct us to live in spite of the struggle? What hope does he offer us um, even though the struggle is real. And so I want to talk just with you for just a little bit of time today about these core beliefs that guide us as disciples of Jesus, these truths that Jesus give us to really hang our life on that really offer us hope amidst the struggle. And the first one is this, that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is near. And the people of Jesus' day, they were no stranger to the struggle. And when he steps onto the scene and he takes... The, he really puts on flesh and makes his dwelling among us, as the Bible teaches. And he takes the baton from uh, John, who has prepared the way for him and began to preach about this coming Messiah, who is Jesus. So, so Jesus takes the baton from John, and John's put into prison, and now Jesus is taking on and uh, beginning his ministry. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, He went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. So this is just, there's so much just really encompassed in this one verse. But when Jesus is saying, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. He's really speaking. He's opening us up to this whole other world. Now, there's two words in the Bible for time, and we see uh, the word kairos, which uh, we're going to talk about here in just a minute, and the word chronos. And the word chronos really refers to like sequential chronological time. That's really what it comes from. And so we see this word used throughout the scripture to talk about chronology and time. There's this word that's a little bit different that Jesus uses here, and that's the word kairos. And kairos really meant that there's this opportune time. That there's this opportunity, that this is the moment in history, right? This is a, a, a divine moment has arrived. And so when he says, the time has come, he's talking about this moment of opportunity. This moment in history, this moment in time uh, has come. So the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. And so when Jesus speaks about the kingdom, he's talking about the opportunity and possibility that comes uh, as he enters into our world. How many of you guys used to go back, and I don't know if they still even do it anymore, but like 3D movies used to go to like the 3D movies. You'd have like the regular movie, but then you'd go to the 3D movie, which was like cool when I was a kid. And you'd go and you get these like really like sweet looking glasses, not really. You know, they're like, they're not a fashion statement at all, but you put them on. And all of a sudden, like you see these things in like three dimension, it's like stuff's jumping out of the screen. Some of you would like have to like breathe into a bag because it's a bit like nauseating when you're there, uh, kind of taking in uh, the picture. But it really was cool to kind of see the difference between like, okay, 
glasses off, now glasses on. It's like, wow, like I'm right in the action. And when I think about Jesus speaking this phrase, the, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is here, what he's really doing, he's saying the opportunity is here, the opportune time is here, he's giving us this new lens to really see reality through. He's giving us, and what he's doing is he's illuminating reality in a greater way for us. He's saying, listen, let me tell you about the way that it was meant to be. Let me tell you about how things work under my rule and under my reign. And so he speaks about the kingdom. He's talking about, and he's really bringing reality into fuller view in our lives. He's given us this lens to view the world, and it's really this lens of opportunity and possibility. And so yes, the struggle is real, but Jesus is saying the kingdom is near. The kingdom is within reach, and he's not talking about somehow, some way, or some time down the line, or this is some pipe dream. He's saying, listen, through me, these things are actually within reach. You can grab hold of God's kingdom um, as I rule in your life. And so, just for some of you this morning, and I know the struggle is real. Let me just say to you, the kingdom of God really is at hand. The kingdom of God really is within reach. That doesn't mean that you're going to not experience the weight of the struggle. But what if we could put that lens on and see beyond the struggle and see what God really has for us? Because when we're, when we're disciples of Jesus, we understand this reality that we weren't born for this world. We know in our, our heart of hearts that we were born for another world. We feel that longing inside of us, right? And Jesus, as he gives us this lens, he helps us understand where that longing comes from. C.S. Lewis says that we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. Then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And so we were born for another world. And what Jesus is telling us this morning is, listen, through me, there's actually rest for the weary. Are you weary today? You can understand that and put on that lens and understand that there is rest for the weary in the name of Jesus. There is hope for the discouraged. Anybody discouraged this morning? Jesus is saying, listen, put on that lens again. There is hope for you. There is new life for those that just feel dead inside and maybe like they've given up. There's new life for you. There's love for those who feel forgotten, those who feel displaced, those who feel uh, like they've been marginalized. There's love for you in the name of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. There is wholeness and healing for the broken. There is freedom for the captives. I mean, these are the things that Jesus was speaking into existence. And he steps into our world, and he offers this invitation into this, this, this world that we were always meant for. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just talk about it, right? I mean, we see it. As we read the Gospels, we see that the things that Jesus is talking about are actually at hand. They're actually coming about. In fact, John has two disciples that he sends out to Jesus because he's discouraged. He's in prison, right? And he doesn't quite know what's going on on the outside. But all he can see is this jail cell. And he's saying, okay, is this really the guy? Because... I think he's the guy, I believe he's the guy, but all I can see is this jail cell. Meanwhile, outside of his jail cell, Jesus is doing all of these things. He's ushering in the kingdom of God. And I think that we could get hung up on the fact that, and like a lot of people did then, that Jesus was talking about some physical revolt that was about to happen, like he was about to overthrow the government, right? But he's talking about an even greater reality than that, an even greater spiritual reality than that. And so, Jesus, John sends out some disciples to, to get word to Jesus to say, ask the question, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And so for an, in a moment of weakness, he says this. 
And at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, evil spirits. He restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, listen, go back to John and tell what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And then he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So that last little line is to John to say, hey, listen, I know that you're going to be stuck in this struggle. And honestly, you're not going to see the outside of this jail cell before you enter into my kingdom. But listen, keep your eyes, see beyond, put on the lenses and understand that the kingdom of God is at hand. Do not fall away on account of me. And those who live the way of Jesus are the ones who can see and seize the opportunity and possibility of kingdom living. Because we wear that new set of lenses and we understand that the kingdom of God really is at hand doesn't diminish the the struggle but we don't fixate on the struggle anymore we fixate on the opportunity the time has come kairos time has come the kingdom of god is at hand so we see and seize the opportunity and possibility of kingdom living kingdom people believe god has more in store for them that we can take hold of the things of god and jesus tells us how he says repent and believe And the way we've taught on that and captured that is repentance is more than just being sorry, right? Repentance is I'm going to turn from this world and I'm going to chase hard and pursue this world over here. I'm going to chase the things of God. And so repentance is turning from the things of the world and believing is turning and taking hold of the things of God, the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 then says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so listen, don't fixate on the struggle. We have to be aware of the struggle, but let's look beyond the struggle into the great hope that we have. And Jesus, let us set our minds on earthly things. I have this friend that uh, I've been working, that's been doing some work on our house, and every time I call him, I'll call him up on the phone, and I'll always ask, like, hey, how you doing? And every time he answers, it it catches me off guard every time. He goes, unbelievable. I'm like, wow, like, he must be having a great day. Like, he's unbelievable. The rest of us are just good, but he's unbelievable. And I'm like, I want to, like, dig more into that. Like, why are you so unbelievable today? But he's unbelievable every day I talk to him. It's like, how are you doing? Unbelievable. And I'm like, that's all. I just start answering the phone like that because, like, you know, you're unbelievable for long enough. You speak that reality into existence, right? Rather than, how are you? I, you know, I'm good. I'm all right, you know? Like, what if we all really could kind of put on that kingdom lens and say, no, you know what? I'm unbelievable because I'm setting my life on the things of the kingdom, right? We should be the greatest optimists. We should be the, the, the truest optimists that exist out there is God's kingdom people, right? Because we believe that the kingdom of God is at hand right? Despite the struggle. We have the greatest reason to see life through the lens of opportunity and possibility. His name is Jesus. We can take hold of the things that he has in store for us. So we see everything through a new kingdom lens, but not only do we see things through a different lens, we have a higher authority at work in our lives that we put our trust in, right? So in light of the struggle, we have this king that we believe and trust in that sits on the throne in our life. We believe that the true king reigns. In John 1, 9 through 14, it says that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is all to speak of Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word, Jesus, became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John, as an eyewitness to Jesus, says, listen, the world didn't recognize him, but I tell you, he is the true light of the world. Though some did not recognize him, we received him, we believed in his name, and he gave us the right to become children of God. And I can say there's so much here, but our our hope just rests on this truth. Really, the whole of Christianity rests on this truth that the Word, Jesus, became flesh, that He made His dwelling among us, that He suffered a sinner's death and was raised physically to new life so that we could live that kind of life as well. And when we think about the kind of king that rules in our life, the kind of king that we set as an authority over our life, He's not an oppressive king. In fact, when God walked the earth, He deserved the crown of splendor, but he wore a crown of thorns. I mean, talk about a God that is worth putting our trust in, a king that's worth allowing to rule over your life. Talk about the king that deserved all honor, yet took on the position of humility, right? So that we could become the children of God. Though the world may not recognize him and receive him, we believe in his name. We live under his authority, and we take advantage of the, the privilege to be called his children. And that is where our loyalty lies. And we have to choose where our loyalty lies. We, uh, uh, some of you guys saw my Instagram a few weeks ago. We've been playing a lot of laser tag at our house. We got laser tag for Christmas, which is like the coolest, funnest game uh, to play. And kids love it because we just like shut off all the lights in the house. And it's just like, you know, battle royale all throughout our house. One day I came home from work and this little laser gun was sitting on the door and all the lights were out in the house. I'm like, what's going on? You know, so like when I first pulled up, I was like, anyone even here? And then I walk up and this thing's hanging on the door and there's a note that says, come and find us, love the red team. And so like now I'm blue team. I'm like, I get what's happening here. They're hidden throughout the house. And like it takes, they're really bad at hiding because like two seconds later, they're like, ah, you know, and they're jumping out. But like this big battle throughout our house ensues. And I'm actually doing pretty good. I'm like for being the one guy on the blue team, I'm doing pretty good and uh, holding my own. We're having a great time. And uh, it's, it's really, really a lot of fun. And finally, at some point, Eli's like, I'm gonna be on daddy's team. I'm gonna be on daddy's team. And so he sort of switched allegiances to come on to daddy's team and he's like having me like like reload his gun over and over again because he like can't really do it all that well and he's like reload reload so he's like dad reload and so I started to realize I'm like starting to do a lot worse now that Eli's on my team I'm like what's going on here and uh there's this little like like sound effect that goes off when you get shot and I'm like man I'm getting shot so much I don't even know where it's coming from and it's like and then the, the little guy comes on there and he goes get out of here get out of here because like you're getting shot up so bad and I'm like where is this coming from and what I realized was it was friendly fire. My little bro that I thought was on my team was not on my team. He's just standing like two, like lighting me up. I had no idea it was happening, you know. And so here he was playing for the other squad the whole time, right? He was not on my team. His loyalty did not lie with me. He was, he was a red team member through and through. And when we think about 
the reign of Jesus in our life. I think we really have to make this decision, this commitment to say, this is where my loyalty lies. This, this, is, this is the team that I serve. This is, this is the kingdom that I was made for, and this is the kingdom that I will live into and lean into. You know, we have to make a decision. Which kingdom do we live for? We can't hold dual citizenship in the kingdom of the world and in the kingdom of God, although it's tempting to do sometimes to say, you know what, like, I'm going to adopt this mindset of the world or this mentality or this attitude of the world, but I want these things of God over here. Like, I want peace in my life, and I want love in my life, and I want uh, beauty and all of the things, the harmony and friendship and relationship, all the things that God has made me for. But at the same time, there is this temptation to say, but I still want some things over here. And we end up straddling these two kingdoms, and we try to hold dual citizenship. And so we play for both teams in that sense. But we have to make a decision, because what we understand and what we're taught is that only one kingdom can truly stand in your life. And Jesus, he, he teaches about this, and um, when, specifically one time when he's accused of casting out demons in the name of the evil one. They're like, he's like, you're casting out Satan in the name of Satan. And Jesus is like, let me just undo this logic for you really quick. And he'll do this. So just like, they'll say something like that. And he was like, let me just go ahead and roast you guys for your lack of logic and speak a truth into your life. And so he just corners them in that way. And I love it because Jesus was the smartest human being ever to live. You would never want to get into an argument with them. The Pharisees try all the time. And so he tells them after they're like, okay, you're saying I'm casting out demons in the name of the devil, you know? Like, okay, uh, let me speak to you on that. So Jesus called them over to him. He began to speak to them, and he said, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he can't stand. His end has come. And so Jesus said, Listen, these two kingdoms, we can't build both of them. We can't be building this worldly kingdom over here and likewise be building God's kingdom over here. We have to make a decision. Only one kingdom can stand in your life. Only one king can hold the throne in your life. Jesus also taught, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now we could plug a lot of other things in there, but Jesus is saying this is one, right? This is one king that has a tendency to rule in our lives. What about power? What about success? What about control, right? What about our own selfish ambition and self-interest? These things have a way of making their way to the throne and putting on the crown in our life, and we end up serving those things. But Jesus is saying, listen, you can't serve two masters. Let's just talk good logic here. You can't serve both of those things and find success in your life. So my question is, what holds the throne in your life? If you're really going to be honest about it, what holds the throne in your life? And I feel like the best indicator of loyalty is priority. What, what has priority in your life? What takes the majority of your time? What takes the majority of your focus? What do you obsess over the most? What are you most focused on? What takes the majority of your resources? What takes priority in your life? And I think that question is worth asking because it will help us to decipher and determine if we're trying to straddle these two kingdoms or if we are truly trying to live under the rule and reign of Jesus and allow him to wear the crown in our lives. And when Jesus talks about repentance and believing, this is a constant 
thing in our life, right? We're constantly recalibrating our thinking to the ways of Jesus. We're continuing to constantly recalibrate our thinking to hold the attitudes and actions of, of a kingdom uh, disciple. And so none of those things in and of themselves, whether it be success is not a negative thing, kids are not a negative thing, your job is not a negative thing, money's not inherently evil, right? Jesus is just saying those things make lousy kings in your life. And if you're going to serve those things, it will become our downfall. The struggle is real, uh, but the kingdom is near. The struggle is real, but the king, we, we as disciples, we know that the king is, is worthy to sit on the throne, and we allow him to rule in our lives. And the struggle is real, but the last truth that we cling to is that our victory is secure. Yeah, the struggle is real. And this side of heaven, we won't be completely exempt from the struggle. We'll find ourselves battling through that struggle. But we have to understand that the victory really is ours. And this is Jesus' truth to us. And in John 16, he knows that there's a time coming when he's no longer going to be with the disciples. He's going to, to, to die and be raised to, new, to, 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 uh, raised to life. And he's going back to heaven uh, to reign with the Father. Um, but he knows that these guys are going to still be on earth, and they're still going to be in the midst of the struggle. And so what he tells them is, listen, take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But again, take heart. I have overcome the world. And what I love about that scripture is this is even prior to him going to the cross. This is even prior to the empty tomb. But Jesus is already declaring and proclaiming victory over those things. He's already saying, listen, I have already overcome the world. It's as good as done. And so he's saying, you stand in victory as my disciples, as my followers, as those who allow me to rule in your life. And don't we love those stories of of just victory. And I, I think this past week, I don't know how many, how many of you guys watched the Super Bowl and uh, how many of you just watched the commercials? Uh, how many of you just went to the Super Bowl party? You're like, yeah, I just want to hang with everybody. Um, but I love the Super Bowl and I love when it's a good game. And I love when there's just these stories of like victory after, right? And, you know, like the coach that, you know, has been just chasing after this for so long, he finally gets that victory. And there's just so many stories that came out of uh, the Super Bowl. One of my favorite stories was, I don't know if you read about the story of Rashad Fenton. And uh, this this Kansas City guy that in the same stadium that he's now standing under the, the confetti and, and uh, walking into Super Bowl victory, this same stadium he used to work concessions. Like, can you just imagine that? Like, coming from, like, I'm, I'm serving up hot dogs to I'm winning the Super Bowl in this place. I mean, what a cool story. And he says, he says, I still remember making hot dogs. I did nachos, filled up sodas, passed out peanuts. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> that was my weekend, week in and week out. And then he said, I'm here for a different reason now. Something far greater is destined for me, is what he said prior to winning the Super Bowl. And I love what his high school coach said about him. He said, you know, guys like Rashad, we need his stories because he represents hope. Kids need hope here because of their daily hardships. There can be gun violence in your neighborhood, but someone is going to go to the Super Bowl, and that's hope. If a mom or dad isn't there and they're being raised by a grandparent, they need hope. They need hope from people like Rashad. He's a constant reminder for the kid 
who's been beaten down and needs positive reinforcement. And I think we love stories like that because we all need hope. But there's no greater hope that is found than in the name of Jesus and in the person of Jesus because only Jesus gives us hope that allows us to walk from death into life. There's no greater victory than that. And we love stories like that uh, but some of my favorite stories are the kind of stories that we get to celebrate uh, right here where we see people walking into a greater hope. You might be, not be like, hey, listen, I was working concessions and now I'm in the Super Bowl. But you might be like, no, you have no idea what my life was and here I am today. It's not perfect, but man, God is got a great God and I am living the victorious life that I was meant for. And there's been so many stories like that. Last A uh, couple weeks ago, we got to celebrate uh, one of those stories here, and we got to celebrate baptism. I love every time we get to celebrate baptism around here uh, because that right there is the ultimate victory, right? That's the ultimate victory celebration. And every time um, uh, we get the opportunity to baptize someone, and I'm, I have the opportunity to baptize someone, I'll, I tell them, you know, there's like this epic party going on in heaven right now. You need to understand that. And that's right out of Scripture. Because you think the Super Bowl celebration and that party that's been going on for a week is something epic? What about the epic party that takes place, the victory party that takes place every time somebody walks from death to life? And Jesus says, listen, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There is victory every time somebody steps over from death into life, steps into victory because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on our behalf. <clears throat> and I just want to tell you today, listen, what Paul tells the Corinthians is true. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have victory in his name. You can claim victory in his name. Victory isn't just your destiny. It's your current reality. Let's start living as those who are victorious in the name of Jesus, who believe that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is on the throne in our lives, and we can have a trust in that and a belief in that. And because of that, we can know that victory is ours. Not because we've earned it, but because he has ushered it in on our behalf. So I just want to encourage you, yes, the struggle is real, but may we as kingdom people continue to seize hold of the kingdom. May we continue to submit to the king, and may we continue to secure and take hold of our kingdom inheritance that only comes through Jesus. I just want to take a couple moments here as we close, and I just want to pray the prayer that Jesus challenges us to pray, and that's kingdom come. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the prayer to pray. And so I want to encourage you, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to take hold of the opportunity and possibility of the kingdom of God that's at hand? What does that look like for you as an individual? What does that look like for kingdom to come into your family? What does it look like for kingdom to continue to come in this church and in our community? So let's just take a moment and reflect on that, and then I'm just going to spend a moment praying, and, uh, and we'll sing out uh, to the conquering king here together uh, after that. So let's just take a moment, just in quiet surrender to God, really just asking him and praying that prayer. Kingdom come.
God, we want to just continue to lift up the name of Jesus. and We want to continue to set you at the position of honor. You are the only worthy king. You are the king above all kings. You are the one that rules over the kingdom of God, and we want you to continue to rule over our lives and just bring about the things of your kingdom, God. We just ask that your kingdom would come in us. I pray though for those that are kind of in the heat of the struggle today, God, that you would just continue to just invade their lives, God, with your presence, with your power, with the things of your kingdom. I pray for peace and for hope. I pray for those that just feel like they're in a season of darkness, God, that your light would just press into those dark places. I pray for those that are discouraged and downcast, God, that hope would little by little begin to overtake their life. I pray, God, that you would give peace to those that feel like their life is a war zone right now. And God, we believe that your kingdom is at hand. Help us to continue to reach out and take hold of, God, the kingdom that we were meant for. Help us to continue to press back the things of this world, God, that, that aim to sabotage us and aim to destroy our world, God. We want to be your ambassadors, God. We want to be people that continue to bring about your goodness, your love, and your hope to the world. So we just pray, God, would you allow us to be a group of people that continues to, as your disciples, be your ambassadors and be your representatives and bring about the kingdom of God. So we just pray, God, all your people together, we pray, kingdom come. And all God's people said.